You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. As a church, we're in the last few weeks of our series that we've called The Church That Jesus Is Building. Um, Would you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3? If you have a Bible, if you don't, the Scriptures will come up on the screens. Um, If we're going to be the church that Jesus is building, we have to see the church the way that Jesus sees it. Jesus, can I tell you, is really passionate about His church. Jesus is passionate about His church. I hope by the end of this message that you and I are a little bit more passionate about his church as well. Ephesians 3 and verse 10 says this. God's purpose is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God's purpose was to give the church to the world as a gift. That through the church, and it's not a building or a meeting or an organization, it's people. It's you and I together. That through you and I, God wants his manifold wisdom to be made known everywhere. Don't you think that's a little bit risky? You thought about that? I think it's a little bit risky. Because the church is seriously imperfect. The church is made up of people like you and I. And we, we're, we're not perfect. I think, I think it's, it's a little bit risky that God chose us together to show his wisdom and his glory and his splendor to the world around us. Yet Paul says that God's purpose was that through us, through the church, that he would make his wisdom known to the world. If God's purpose is to give the church to the world, then our purpose as followers of Jesus is to give ourselves to the church, to be the church that he can give to the world. If his purpose is to give us, to show his wisdom and his glory through us, then our purpose is to be that people that he can give to the people around us. In English, when you read the word church, we often think of a building or a meeting or, or, or a place. But in Greek, the word is um, ecclesia. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. Ecclesia literally means the called out ones or the called out assembly. It's a collective noun for the English scholars among us, of which I am not one, but I did look that up. In other words, God's purpose was that through all of us as a collective community together, as a gathering together, that his wisdom would be made known. Through you and I, as a collective community together, that his wisdom and his glory would be made known. It runs in stark contrast contrast to the idea in Western ideology um, that it's all about finding my place and my purpose and my thing um, and me being happy and finding my fit in the world. When we come to finding our purpose in God, we discover that there's something very different than what we've been taught in our Western ideology. Our individual purposes are are a small part of it, but when all of those come together as a collective purpose in being the church together, this manifold wisdom, this multi-layered splendor of who God is shines out from us to the world around us. My purpose in the kingdom is always linked with the purpose of the church or those that he's added me to. My purpose in the kingdom is always linked to the purpose of us together. 
It's not just me in my corner trying to find Matt Doty's purpose and you in your corner trying to find your purpose on your own. As we be the church together, we fulfill our purpose. And it's ultimately the, the way that God originally designed us to live and to be. The church is so important. The gathering of believers that God's given us a number of different pictures in the, in the scripture to describe this. I, it's so important and God values it so much that one picture isn't really enough to do justice of what the church should be. So this morning I, I want to use three of the pictures that the Bible uses to describe the church. I want to help us see that. And in closing, we're going to talk about four implications or applications for us. The first picture that the Bible uses to describe the church, the gathering of believers. Not a place, not an organization, people whose hearts are knit together, is the picture of the bride of Christ. There's no language or place in the Bible for love Jesus but hate the church. They're actually just, it's not in the scripture. Jesus loves his church. He loves his people. Listen to how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, Ephesians 5 from verse 25 to 27. It says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. I love that. Now listen to Paul talking about Jesus' relationship with the church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water of the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish or that she might be holy and blameless. There's a beauty that God sees in his church. We look around, and to be honest, we can easily see a lot of the stains and the blemishes and the flaws. It's not that difficult to pick out the problems. But when Jesus looks at us, he views all of us together. His church worldwide, not just Melbourne Light Church, worldwide, his church across the globe as his bride that he's coming back for. A people that he loves, that he laid down his life for. He doesn't see us as we are now. He sees us for what we're becoming, and he journeys with us in the process of becoming that people. In fact, one of the, one of the lenses I think we should read the Bible through, and there's a, there's a whole lot of different lenses we can read the Bible through, but one of the lenses is the lens of a love story of God and his people. The Bible opens in Genesis 1 and 2 with the story of a man and a woman and a wedding. And the Bible closes in the final two chapters with the story of Jesus and his bride and an eternal wedding, the wedding of the lamb and his people, the church. In between those beginning and end is all of God's work with his people to help us become more radiant and without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Listen to how the Bible describes God's view of his bride in Ezekiel 16. Verse 10 to 14. It says, I clothe you with an embroidered cloth and put on your feet fine leather. I wrap you in a fine, fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain upon your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. The bridegroom has beautiful tastes when it comes to clothing his bride. 
Uh, verse 13, he says, you grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced in royalty, and your renown went forth amongst the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed upon you, declares the Lord God. It's amazing to me that when God wants us to understand how much he cares for his church, his people, he used one of the strongest human emotions, which is the emotion of romantic love to describe how he views us together, the ecclesia, his church. By God's grace, Elodie and I in November this year will have been married for 18 years. Some of you have been married a lot longer than that. It is by the grace of God. And something happens in marriage, um, and, and I love it. I'm more in love with her now than I, than I have ever been. But love has seasons and journeys, doesn't it? For those of you who have been married a lot longer, you can, probably, you can testify to that. Um, there's times where it isn't all about romantic feelings. Because at times when those romantic feelings wear off a little bit, there's a, actually a deeper love that comes out. It's where we get to know each other and our flaws and our weaknesses, um, which goes both ways, and, and Elodie has to put up with, with much more and many more flaws and weaknesses. She, yeah, yeah, she does. It's true. But we, in that place of getting to know each other and of deeper love, we get to choose. We say, I'm loving you because of or in spite of some of those things. I choose to love you. It's not just because I, I, you know, I feel romantically about you, but I actually choose to love who you are. And you see, when it comes to describing the bride and the church where in a normal marriage, we both have flaws and weaknesses. When it comes to describing the bride in the church, Jesus is perfect. There's no flaws or weaknesses in him. He's the perfect groom. He has no flaws. There's nothing not to love about Jesus. But in his love to us, he says, in spite of your flaws and in spite of your weaknesses and in spite of what you are, I see you as beautiful. That's how the Bible describes his church. And if you or I view the church through different lenses, then we don't see it the way the bridegroom views his bride. He doesn't view us for what we are now. He views us for what we're becoming. And if Jesus is that invested in and cares that much for his bride, for the church, then surely if we love him, we should have his eyes toward the church, toward his bride we should be passionate about it. We should be involved in becoming the people who he's called us to be. Our purpose is to give ourselves to be the church that he can give to the world. The second picture the Bible uses to describe the church is the temple of God. I love this one. The temple of God. And so let me give you a little bit of biblical history and bring you into the modern day. I'll try and do it quickly. In the beginning, God creates the first couple, Adam and Eve. And they walked with God in the cool of the day. There was intimacy in the garden. God's presence was with them. This is what God wanted. He wanted to be present with us and with them. He was there walking like, he was walking like friends with Adam and Eve um, in the garden. Then Adam and Eve disobey the one command that God gives them. And one of the major consequences of that disobedience is that they get banished from the presence of God and banished from the garden. The story of mankind is essentially a story of trying to find wholeness and healing and fulfillment whilst being cut out of the garden. 
That's using the biblical picture of the story of mankind. But God's so gracious that a little while later with his people, um, the, the nation of Israel, he says, build me a temple. Build me a place where my presence can come. And so they build this amazingly ornate, very expensive building. And on the day that building is dedicated, it says that the presence of God which has been absent from his people, enters the building like a cloud. They could visibly see it. It came in like a cloud. And it says actually that the priest couldn't even stand because of the glory of his presence, those who were ministering there. Um, the central room of this building that they built, which was called the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place, his presence comes. And for all intents and purposes, the presence of God dwelt in this one room. The presence of God on the earth existed in this one room. And there's this multi-layered curtain that separates this one room from the rest of the temple. It was thick. The Bible describes it as seven layers, like almost a foot thick, this really thick curtain. Um, and the presence of God is so amazing and so unique and so powerful that only one man's allowed to enter that place through the curtain once a year after offering all these sacrifices. And it was so holy and so wonderful that when he goes in, they tied a rope around his leg. They put a cloak on him that had bells woven into it so that when he was moving around in the presence of God, they could hear the bells jingling. And if they stopped jingling, if they stopped hearing the bells because the presence of God was so amazing that maybe he actually fell dead in the presence of God, they could drag him out by the rope. Because nobody else dared go in. They didn't dare mess around in the presence of God. That's how awesome his presence was. But this is the amazing thing. So that's the history. This is the amazing thing. On the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, the New Testament records that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. These divine hands reach down and tear this seven-layered curtain without any human involvement. It's God saying, I want my presence to be with my people again. That's why Jesus died. So I can be present with my people, not just in one room. It's the very presence of God. The same presence of God that they only went in once a year. Jesus paid the price so that we can, we can be in his presence every day. Now listen to how Paul talks about that in light of a, in, talks about the church in light of, of that sort of a little bit of background. Ephesians 2, verse 20. It says, you, the church, are built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, not bricks, but people, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The church, the ecclesia, the gathered ones are now the temple of God. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Wow. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The picture is that every, everyone, everyone who follows Jesus are like bricks being built together by the chief builder, God himself. And in community, in the doing of community, in the being of community, 
God's, pres- God's presence, his very presence dwells in a specific and beautiful and unique way. Yes, his presence dwells in each of us individually, but there's something beautiful and unique that is displayed when we do community together. Something that we can't see with only us as individuals. That's why the Bible doesn't know uh, any type of Christianity that's like, I just have this personal relationship with God one-on-one. It's just me and him and nobody else. Um, you know, I don't really need other believers. It's just me, mine, and I. The Bible doesn't have that sort of Christianity. It's not being the temple. That's just being a brick. There's probably more in that, but I'll leave that there. Um, if God's purpose is to give the world his bride and to build us into a temple, then we need to be a people who are devoted to being the bride and being the temple connected to other believers, being his bride, being full of his presence together. The third picture the Bible uses, and he uses it strongly, I love this, is that the, that the church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Can you see these pictures all give a different picture of the brilliance of how God views the church? One picture on its own isn't enough because the way he views us is so vast and so brilliant that he gives us these three different pictures. The bride and the groom are two separate beings but connected through covenant. The temple is a building, but God lives in the building. But this is saying that the church, as the body of Christ, is an extension of Jesus himself. That's mind-blowing. I mean, we could spend weeks just on this. You and I together, with every other believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him, are considered to be like cells of the body joined together. If you see a finger chopped off, I hope you never have to, Andrew Matthews. Be careful around your molster. He can tell you the story. But if you see a finger chopped off, I mean, that was just the end. But if you see an actual finger cut off, the finger dies, but the rest of the body hurts as well. It's not like this finger's gone, okay, we're good, let's go about life, and the finger's dead. No, the finger dies, but the rest of the body also hurts. That's what it's like to be amputated from connection with other believers. Paul, the writer of these words in Ephesians 4, he had this profound revelation from Jesus himself. See, before Paul started following Christ, he thought Jesus was just a failed rabbi and his followers were just people causing trouble. So much so that Paul actually went around killing Christians and throwing them in jail. One day he's on his way to do more of this same thing, to kill more Christians and throw them in jail. And he gets struck down by a light and a voice from heaven says this. Before he was called Paul, he was called Saul. A voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who was Saul persecuting? The Christians. But Jesus says, why do you persecute me? Jesus is so closely connected to us that he views us as an extension of himself. The Bible says that when one part of the body hurts, the rest of it should, should feel pain and concern because we're all connected. I, at one point when I was a young man, crashed a motorbike into a tree. 
it was not a nice experience. And I ended up in emergency. My brother, who was only on his L plates, drove me to the hospital because I was bleeding everywhere. And when you go to emergency, they're not very nice when you've crashed a motorbike. There's not a whole lot of love and grace. And they poke you and they prod you and they say, does that hurt? And it's amazing how it was, my, my leg was a bit damaged and I, I had split open my elbow so you could see the bone. And they just poke in the hole. And something happens, it's not just the hole that hurts. The whole rest of your body feels really weird when they do that. You got quite faint and like lightheaded and wanted to pass out. There's like a whole body response to one part of the body hurting. When one part of the body hurts, the rest of the body is like, is like seriously cautious. It's like, I want to, I want to, I'm out. Jesus says, you're my body. And it's not just, I'm doing okay, so that's great. Everyone else can go about their thing. When believers in other parts of the world, places like Afghanistan or the Ukraine or China are hurting or they're persecuted for their faith, when we hear their stories, there should be something in us that hurts for them as well, that at least drives us to prayer, but says, oh, Lord, they're part of us. They're an extension of the body. There's another aspect that I've heard people say, I wish that Jesus was here in bodily form so I could go ask him questions and watch what he did. Jesus didn't quite, quite seem to feel the same about that. He actually says, it's good that I go so that the spirit, my spirit can come and dwell in you. And because us, the church, are now his new hands and feet. We're his body. The heartbeat of Jesus should be in every one of us. The lifeblood of care and connection with each other should run through us. It's not surprising to me that the Bible uses these pictures because the concept of the church would be too big and too profound for us to grasp if it just stated the church. That's why he says the bride, the temple, the body. C.S. Lewis, a great writer, says this. God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us, the church, to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. To put it another way, God's not looking for a domain to dominate, but a people to partner with. He's looking for a people, a body, who will change the world. Who will change the world. If this is how God views his church... As his bride, his temple, an extension of himself, the body. Surely the church should hold high value for you and I. And I want to end today with four implications for us, or four applications in the time I have left. Four things we should do if this is true. Firstly, I want to implore you, keep investing in and bringing others into this healing community. Don't lose hope for the church. Many have lost their hope in being involved in local church or connected to or doing community together. Many have bought into the lie of the culture. That's, uh, it's the, the culture of the enemy that says, I don't need church. It's just me and Jesus. It's just me and my podcast. It's just me and my live streams. As good as podcasts and live streams were in, in the last two years of being a way that we could still be fed through COVID, it's not being the church. We have to neglect the over 41 another's in the New Testament to say, I'm not going to gather anymore. 
It's not that difficult to see why, though, people have lost hope. Because our imperfections and our baggage bumps into one another as we do church together. And sometimes we get hurt by that. And sometimes we're let down. And I want to say this morning, if you've been hurt by the church, even this church, I repent. I apologize to you. I apologize on behalf of others who may have let you down or their baggage has bumped into you because of their imperfections. Remember, Jesus doesn't see us the way we are now. He sees us for what we're becoming. Don't lose hope for the church. Keep investing and keep bringing others into this healing community. We sometimes do things that hurt others, sometimes indirectly and sometimes directly, sadly. Sometimes it's actually on purpose. Because we're broken people. Yet despite that, Jesus still calls us his bride, his temple, the place where his spirit dwells, and his body. God's plan is a people, a community, a church that carries his presence and transforms the world. That's who we're called to be. God's plan is a people that go out and display his glory and his wisdom to the world around us. Mission that brings people into relationship with God and his community discipleship in community. In the Bible, there's no ministry disconnected from the body. The church is still God's way to reach a broken and hurting world. In the Bible, you don't see a finger on its own trying to do its own little thing. It's a bit rude. What's that beer ad where the tongue jumps out and just goes on a little journey? You don't see that in the Bible. It's the whole body together. There is no ministry disconnected. There's no wandering tongue just going on its own little journey. Can I say, even though we might have been hurt or might have been let down, or we might, have no, we, we might know others who are hurt or have been let down, don't lose hope for the church. Because the one who really counts, Jesus himself, still loves her and gave his life for her, and he's still at work within her. He never picked perfect people to be part of his church. He picked us. And he's in the process of making us perfect like him. He doesn't see what we are. He sees what we're becoming. Because Jesus' commitment to the church, because of his commitment, his bride is becoming more beautiful. His presence is becoming more tangible. His body is becoming more mature, having greater impact. Keep investing in the church and bringing others into healing community. Secondly, use your gifts to strengthen the church. Your gift who you are, who God's made you to be, is needed for us to be who God's called us to be. Remember the verse that we just read in Ephesians 4, verse 16. The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. That's not when each pastor, that's not when each leader is doing his thing. It's when every part of the church, you and I, are doing our part properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. We're not perfect. Can I just say this? If you're visiting with us, Melbourne Lights Church is not the perfect church. But one of the things I love about this church, and I love this church, is how many people are using their gifts and are involved. Both serving within and serving our community. Not because they're going to get public recognition or reward, um, but because there's just... There's such friendship, there's such connection, they're they're looking out for each other, there's caring, there's a love for the lost. We're pursuing Jesus together. 
discipleship groups meeting, people, people who might have otherwise never have been friends, finding space to love and serve and build together, uh, volunteering in our gatherings, but more than that, being the church day by day. I love that about this church with all of our imperfections and all the things that we're still growing in. I love seeing the lives impacted and transformed by people giving of their time, by people over the years kind of saying, I want to be a part of this. I love seeing Bruce and Vicky coming to baptize their kids. They've seen two churches planted in Houston. They're serving in another church. He's seen countless veterans' lives saved in the organization he's involved with. He's just, Bruce is one of the most pastorally evangelistic guys you'll ever meet. His inheritance is our inheritance. If I could tell you every story of every life that's impacted just directly through this church, let alone you know, through the lives, through the, you know, the ongoing ripple, we would be here for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I wish I had the time to tell you all of it. Around the world, what God's doing. Use your gifts to strengthen the church. Thirdly, prioritize the gathering of the church. Don't lose hope. Keep bringing people into this, this healing community. Don't lose hope for the church. Use your gifts to strengthen the church. Thirdly, prioritize the gathering of the church. We, we, we read this scripture often, but Hebrews 10 verse 24. Let us consider or let us think about how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. One of the most bizarre features of the Western church over the last few decades, to be honest, is how low priority connecting together as believers has become for some. Previously in history, in many other parts of the world, that isn't the case. In fact, to be honest, in many parts of the world where the church is persecuted, believers are the most committed to gathering, which is quite amazing. Yet we don't, if we don't understand Jesus' heart for the church and the power of being the ecclesia together, then we can become blasé. We get focused on self rather than on community. We're like, Jesus' bride, temple, body, yeah, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want, when I want. That's good enough for me. It's like so many people have, I'm finishing up. We've got one more point after this. So many people have list A and list B. On list A is, you know, is our work. Yeah, that provides sort of financial income. We don't just decide to go to work when we feel like it when we think about it. I've got spare time in this week, so I might go to work today. <laughs> List A has the, the, you know, the, the kids' school. It has sport, it has extracurricular activities, it has birthday parties, people's holidays, uh, leisure activities. All these things are good things. But List A, we make time for, we prioritize. They're all good things. But as if for, for many Christians or followers of Jesus... Being involved with other believers is on list B. We make time for list A, but list B is like, you know, if I've got spare time. List A, they're all good things. You guys went really quiet. It's like, they'd be lucky to see me at discipleship group. It's a bit much. If I could fit it into my week, that'd be great. But if not, it's one of those things. Um, I, yeah, I couldn't possibly take the kids out. 
I'll come to church when I can, as long as there isn't anything else on on that weekend, or I haven't gone out on a Saturday night, or there isn't a party or a club or whatever. Prayer, outreach, I think that's a bit much. God doesn't have that priority toward us. Thank God. (laughs) We're not on list B of his priority. If we don't have a revelation of the power of Ecclesia, of his glory displayed through us as we gather, then why would we gather? But when we have that revelation, then how can we not? How can we not? How can we not when, when I know that when I come to a discipleship group, there's something God wants to do through me to others. It's not just what I'm going to get. I don't just come on Sunday morning because I'm going to get something. I come because God's given me something to give to others. How can I not go on the street and tell people about Jesus? How can I not share his light? How can I not be a part of discipleship? How can I not pray? If we don't make the gathering of believers a priority, it starts to slide so easily. If we can't even commit, I'll say this and I'll finish this point, to gathering together, we'll never be the church that God can give to the world the church that displays his manifold wisdom and splendor and that ushers in revival. My last point is this, love the church. Love the church, love the whole church. Love the church that's different from us. Love the expression, you might be here and go, I wouldn't do any of it this way. That's all right, just love us anyways. Love the church that you're in if you're from a different church. If all of this is true about how Jesus, is, Jesus views and loves his church, we should love the whole church as well. Honor the church. There's churches that have different styles. There's churches that have different focuses. Many of us have come from different church backgrounds, and that's okay. At times we can become critical of other churches, but Jesus doesn't view us like that. All of us like to think that we're his favorites. But, I mean, let's be honest. But we are all his bride together. We're called to honor and to love the church. We're a kingdom people. Can we be so grateful for different styles and expressions of doing church? Can we be grateful for those that are different than us? Because maybe all the different styles and all the different expressions display something of the multifaceted splendor and glory of God. Maybe there's something that they're displaying that we're still lacking in. So can we be grateful even if we're different than them? If you found yourself being critical of the church or of a church, would you repent this morning and allow Jesus to bring healing to your heart? And maybe it's because there's genuine hurt, but don't be critical. Just say nothing. You know that saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, just say nothing at all. That's fine. But the church is Jesus' bride with all our faults and flaws. We're going to close in prayer. But I want you to see in these pictures of the church that the main focus is not I. The main focus is him. We're the bride, but we're only the bride because he's the bridegroom. We're the temple, but we're only the temple because of his presence. We're his body but we'd be lifeless if it wasn't for him, Jesus Christ the head. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.